What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped over 16,000 dogs through her foundation, says she's seeing more issues with dogs' joints, odors, and health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can look to improve any dog's health, their food. What she discovered is that the way many dog foods are made can actually create toxins that could be wrecking our dog's health. And this is true even for many premium brands. Fortunately, she found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how anyone can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. Reflecting on this, I decided to follow her advice, and I noticed profound changes in my own dogs. Enhanced energy, healthier skin, and an overall younger demeanor. It's truly heartwarming to see them so vibrant and full of life. Go to badlandsfood.com hometown and watch Catherine's video right now. Again, that's B-A-D-L-A-N-D-S-F-O-O-D dot com slash hometown. This episode will be a little different in that I'll be taking you on a mine tour deep underground in Virginia City. This is the city where Mark Twain worked at a local paper in his younger years and became the writer we know and love today. It's also the location of one of the biggest silver strikes in history. Because of the way the town boomed and then busted over the span of a few decades in the 19th century, the main street downtown is pretty much identical to the way it would have looked 150 years ago. If you are in Nevada and you love history, you need to come here. If you do come here, you need to take the Ponderosa Saloon and Mine Tour, as I did with my team. Our guide, Spencer, agreed to Mike for the tour to allow me to share it with you. I've included most of the tour in this episode and hope you enjoy it as much as I did. The tour begins in the back of the building on Main Street. A pair of doors opens at the back of the saloon and you simply walk underground. As mine tours go, it's especially walkable, and I couldn't recommend it more highly. Once we were into the mine, Spencer began explaining why this town in the middle of Nevada was named after a state on the other side of the country. 
All right, just a quick warning. My tours, it's kind of like an episode of Drunk History. Mispronounced words, speaking lame and stern is probably going to be swearing. There's no kids here. Good old-fashioned swearing on this tour. Why is it called Virginia City? So there's a dude named James Finmore. He's from Virginia. Goes out to California. They said he murdered somebody. So he goes on the run. Changed his name from James Finmore to James Finney. And he's hiding out on this mountain. Gold mining camp, America's first silver mining camp. He's more of a partier than a miner. So they called him old Virginia Finney. So he's in one of these tents drinking a bottle of whiskey. Drops his bottle of whiskey at bust. Doesn't want to waste the whiskey. So he says, I crescent this here Virginia town after my home state. Why they changed it to Virginia City? Couldn't tell you. My theory is because the population grew so quickly. James Finnemore, known also as James Finney, is remembered today for this one accident of history. He named Virginia City. Almost nothing beyond this one antidote is known of him today. One historian described him as a frontier hunter, miner, a buffoon, and a practical joker, a hard drinker when he could get the liquor, and an indifferent worker at anything. What I do know is his claim down in Gold Hill, he sold it for a horse, a few blankets, and a bottle of whiskey, and he ended up falling off that horse and cracking his skull. History is not pretty. When he took that fall, old Finney was riding drunk through Dayton, Nevada. One day later, he died and was buried downtown. His original tombstone was moved to the local museum, and you can still visit both that tombstone and his grave in Dayton today. You guys ever watch Bonanza? Haas is the coolest character. If you ever get bored, get on YouTube, type in Bonanza Henry Comstock episode. It's a great episode, and it actually has a scene of James Fimmore breaking his bottle of whiskey. Oh, Jimmy. Oh. <laughs> so it won't be a total loss. I hereby baptize this place, Virginia! That's not the way to do it, boy. Oh, shut up, you are. Oh, no, this is going to be a great place someday. Fortunes will be made here. <laughs> We'll make fortunes so great we're going to need help counting the money. Right. So it ought to have a fitting name. Shouldn't just call it Virginia. We ought to call it uh, Virginia City. So Bonanza, it is a Spanish term for good fortune. In the show, the Cartwright family called the ranch Ponderosa, as his building is called the Ponderosa. Why? What's a Ponderosa besides a bad restaurant? A ponderosa is a type of tree. Spencer led us to a map on the mine wall to show the area once covered by this massive pine. Ponderosa pine. So at one point, all of Virginia City here was nothing but a great big force of ponderosa pine, aka blackjack pine, but it was all depleted to build the town, to build the mines for fuel. Try to replant that forest twice. Say the ecosystem, not having it. Tell you the truth, uh, what I believe it is, some dude told me, he said that a man can't plant ponderosa pine. Ponderosa pine has to plant itself. The ponderosa pine is the tallest tree in the pine family and can grow to more than 250 feet tall and 25 feet around. We encountered forests full of these trees a few days later in the Crater Lake National Park and discussed them in more detail in that episode. Done with that map. That map is stupid. Cool map is over here. Look at Virginia City cut her in half like her ant farm. This is what's under us. Over 700 miles of tunnels. 
That is bigger than the catacombs of Paris. 800 million board feet of timber to build it. What kind of timber? Ponderosa pine. Yes, there was so much Ponderosa pine being cut, dude, all the sawdust and tree sap. It killed all the fish in the Carson River. And in Lake Tahoe. That's a lot of sawdust and sap, y'all. It's pretty amazing to think of natural substances like sap and sawdust in quantities so large that they pollute like toxic chemicals. But that's exactly what happened in Virginia City. When the mines were built, the fish of the Carson River and Lake Tahoe were completely wiped out due to this relatively natural form of pollution. We located the Belcher Mine, about to go 300 feet in the mountain, 48 feet under the surface. Here, I want to point out the wall. If that wall did not exist, we would go back another 200 feet, then whoa! 550 feet below the surface. And actually, when they make these diagrams, they just make them go straight down because it's easier to explain to tourists like that. But they're like, it doesn't go straight down, it goes more like this. As he explains this, Spencer is tracing a back and forth pattern with his finger on the map demonstrating the zigzag structures of the shafts to limit how far a miner could fall at one time. After he finished explaining this, one of the men on our tour asked if the mines covering the diagram in full expanse of Virginia City were still there and open for exploration. What you guys are doing right now is paying money to go to a mine safely. You go many mines for free all over Virginia City. Do not do it. It's extremely dangerous. A lot of missing people's cases in Nevada for people exploring mines. The poisonous gases will get you. There's a reason why when our society homeless tunnel people live in these mines. No one survived down there. Not all mines in the world are the same. I watch YouTube videos all the time. People explore mines. They're always hard rock mines. All these mines made out of wood. Entrances exposed to the elements. Caving could happen to you. All of the mines I'd been in before were hard rock mines that didn't require any kind of wood supports. Of course, those mines are safer because rock doesn't rot. Wood, even ponderosa pine, does. And cavens happen all the time in old soft rock mines like these ones. And in mines like this one, you have more than just cavens to worry about. You'll get deep in the mine and the wood will be perfectly preserved, but you'll be like, all right, cool, I want to take a nap. Lay down, take a nap, and not wake up. Nothing down there worth seeing that's worth your life, and all of y'all look kind of guilty and curious. <laughs> He's referring to the poisonous gases that surface in mines like these and kill miners before they have a chance to know what's happening to them. Carbon monoxide is common and incredibly deadly. If there is so much as 0.1% in the air, it will kill you almost instantly. We asked how we could be sure the air in our tunnel was safe. This one has natural ventilation. So this calm stock load is just a part of the gold rush. Well, it won't be like those technical a-holes I get in here every now and then. They say this chunk of history cannot exist without the gold rush. Technically, it is. Technically, it's not. It's like 10 years later. It's more like a spinoff. You guys know 49ers, right? Talk about the prospectors, not athletes. You guys know about the 59ers. Gold rush in it. The 49ers became the 59ers, and they all went off in their own way. Some hit up this area. Some hit up the Rockies, Alaska, Idaho, Montana. A lot of them died in their travels. A lot of them said, screw this. I'm going back to farming. Two of them that ended up here, they were also scientists. They were the Gross brothers. They took a great interest in this area. Unfortunately, one was mine. He had pickaxe through his foot. He died of an infection. His brother said, hey, that's not going to stop me. I need to get out to Sacramento. Before leaving for Sacramento, he had this illiterate Canadian trapper slash sheep herder watch his cabin and watch his claim. Illiterate Canadian's name, Henry Comstock. 
Dude takes off for Sacramento, gets lost in a blizzard, dies of frostbite. Henry Comstock catches word and he's like, Cha-ching. this is now my cabin, this is now my claim, this is now my land, get off my land. Everybody's like, dude, we know this ain't rightfully your land, but we're gonna cut you in just to get you to shut up. They cut Henry Comstock in and he ends up selling his shares eventually for 11,000. Takes off and does his thing of drinking and gambling. His mental health was declining. He ends up in Montana. Three years later, he reads about the big bonanza strike that happened on that land he got rid of. You guys want to guess how the story ends for old Henry Comstock? Self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. Wonder if he used a silver bullet. If you're feeling bad for Henry Comstock, Spencer would encourage you to rethink that. He actually got what he deserved. He was a terrible dude. The only thing we took from him was named Comstock. He swindled Irishmen out of their black sand. He had like dentured servants at one point. That dude sucked. When you spend as much time reading dry academic assessments as I do, takes as simple and direct as this one are kind of surprising and refreshing. We had our gold mining over here in Gold Hill, hence the name, Gold Hill. You guys been to Gold Hill or through it? Creepy little town on the way to Carson City. That's where the gold mining was. It was going so great till April 7th, 1869. Yellow jacket mine. A worker left a candle burning overnight that was way too close to a pillar. That pillar started to smolder. In the morning, they started their shift at that mine and the surrounding mines. Lifts started descending, deliver prospectors down there for work. That was pushing a bunch of oxygen down from every which way. It finally got enough oxygen and went backdraft, killed 45 miners, destroyed the gold mining completely. The gold is still down there. Just way too dangerous to get. Get that look off your face. <laughs> you guys know about the Silver Queen? No. Y'all call yourself Taurus? We actually had seen a painting of this woman a few doors down, but I don't think we knew what we were looking at. Go out this building, make a left, go down a couple blocks, Silver Queen Hotel and Saloon. In the saloon, there's a 15-foot painting of a beautiful lady, hairdresser made out of real silver dollars. It's not Julia Bulette, if anyone says it is, because Julia Bulette wasn't that hot. Julia Bulette was a well-known sex worker from the 1860s who was at one point the only woman in Virginia City. To say that she made a living would be an understatement. Sadly, she was murdered by a French drifter named John Millen, who was himself later hanged. Incidentally, Mark Twain was there in the crowd that day to watch him die. The Silver Queen that Spencer is referring to is a famous painting in town of an unknown woman whose dress is represented with actual silver dollars on the canvas, one for each foot of depth in the deepest mine shaft in Virginia City history. So on her dress, if you add up those silver dollars, you got 3,261. That represents depth of the combination shaft. Deepest mine shaft in Virginia City at 3,261 feet deep. That is pretty deep. You guys agree? Yes. This combination shaft is still visible from town, by the way. Though it goes without saying, you should never go inside. It's freaking massive. Well, it turns out there's water down that deep, and it's like, hell yeah, I love water. You like water? Water's good. Yeah, but it turned out the water down there not only had mercury in it, it got up to 170 degrees. Volcanic water down there literally got so hot down there made prospectors' clothes fall off. They needed a material strong enough for prospectors. Levi's denim jeans were invented by a man named Jacob W. Davis, who lived in Virginia City and then Reno, Nevada. He partnered with Levi Strauss to patent his invention, and the rest is history. The other solution to this problem was to get this toxic hot water out of the mines. A long outlet called the Sutro Tunnel was installed. The Sutro Tunnel was put in. 
to expel this unwanted hot water out of the mines and into the Carson River. That's why it's so polluted. This tunnel lays at 1,137 feet below us. Nine years of bill, 12 people died. They put it in 13 years too late. Most of the mining was done. And Mother Nature is a B word. She always wins. Still had to stop that deep mining in Virginia City due to uncontrollable hot water. Okay, you guys know about the blue mud? All right, that episode of Bonanza I told you about, they talk about the blue mud. It's like, what's going on here? Nothing but all this damn blue stuff. So you got these two Irishmen, Patrick McLaughlin, Peter O'Reilly. They're both fresh off the boat, gullible as hell. They end up here to stake a claim, but everything's all staked up. So they head up Six Mile Canyon, stake their claim there, and realize the water source there sucks. It's like a little stupid stream. So they dig a reservoir. They get three to four feet down, they hit this crap. They wash it away, find speckles of gold. Here comes old Henry Comstock. I swear, he's like my favorite character. He's the villain. He examines it, he's like, yo guys, this is actually northern part of my land. That's actually my stream. He's lying, of course. He's like, you guys can't keep digging unless you cut me in and cut my buddy in. Two Irishmen that didn't know better, cut him in. So the four of them dig through all this crap, wash it away, go for speckles of gold and make like $100 a day. The whole time our Hispanic friends, because this mining could not have been done without the Hispanic influence. The Hispanic are the original gangsters of silver mining. But there was a language barrier. And the whole time they're like, hey y'all, that's silver y'all wasted, knock it off. A ton of that crap was worth 876 in gold. Spencer held up a ball jar filled with the sand. It sparkled with tiny metallic specks. This here is a jar of black sand. This has bits of gold and silver in it. Gold and silver can be crushed as small as two atoms, still visible to each human eye. And geology is not my thing. I freaking hate geology. I'm a dark history guy. But my dad, he hooked me up with this rock. This dude is heavy. I can't tell you what kind of rock it is, but what I can't tell you, it's where black sand comes from. For those of you that do not hate geology, the name of this rock he was holding was basalt. It's a dark, heavy volcanic rock, high in metallic content. But yeah, you guys see it? The shimmers? Then people will find this rock. They'll think it's a meteor because of this. He holds a magnet up to the stone, and it latches on. Oh, uh, magnetic. Hmm. Interesting. All right, so the mine was built 1859. It was abandoned in 1913. The building you're in, built 1864. It's one of the oldest banks in Nevada. One side was the post office. This side was the bank. A similar bank fault sat right where you guys are standing. This is a three-foot stone wall that protected the vault of the bank. End of the bank. Back in the 80s, my boss and his buddies, they got drunk. And they decided to dig down right here, blast through that wall, connect the mine to the bar. He is a descendant of the miners. Fifth generation. He ended up with the deed to the mine to continue silver mining. They thought they had something. They really did. But they did. So now we got mine tours. This is what I'm talking about next. This room right here with the Jolly Roger on it. And dude should be able to stand up straight right here, maybe, perhaps. The dude he is referring to here is me. Being six foot nine in a narrow 19th century mine shaft means walking like a hunchback with your chin beneath your shoulders for most of the way. I was actually getting used to this posture by this point. But I was glad he noticed. I know all the good spot. You good right there? Okay, so that room there, that there be the powder room. When I say powder room, I'm not talking about cosmetics or Studio 54. I'm talking about dynamite. Black powder blowing up people's minds about 1872. They didn't catch word in 1867. A Swedish chemist invented something. 
He invented something that's just as strong as black powder, but something safer to use for mining. Who can tell me the name of Swedish chemist that invented dynamite? Napoleon Dynamite. No, it was Alfred Nobel. He bleed me for a second. He did. Alfred Nobel was originally Nobel's blasting powder. He made a lot of money off it. He killed a lot of people. He felt guilty. Nobel Peace Prize. What's dynamite made from? Nitroglycerin. Take your nitric acid, mix with glycerin, then add sodium nitrate and salt us. There's dynamite. I just taught you guys how to make dynamite. And I learned that from the book Fight Club. If anybody reads, I recommend that book. It's such an awesome story. So, you guys ever been in a mine before outside of Virginia City? Yeah. Do you remember if the mine you went in had more or less timber inside? The mines I'd been in before were all hard rock mines, hundreds of feet deep in the ground, with almost no timber. The rock here was soft and constantly patressed with wood to prevent the walls and ceilings from collapsing. Most mines, they'd be like caves. You don't need all this timber. Just tunnel to the earth. But if you all feel like the side of the mountain... It's like really soft. It was like clay. That's why all this timber is needed. The Comstock ore wasn't as strong as it were in some mountains. In deeper mines, the wood used to brace the tunnels can be hundreds of years old without rotting at all. The wood in this mine is in a state of obvious decay. Spencer explained that in those other mines... The wood's perfectly preserved because it's really deep, not exposed to elements. This mine's too close to the surface. I have a theory if the human race along Virginia City is still standing in a few million years, this mountain's going to have petrified tunnels. But we're definitely not going to make it that long. We got World War III and aliens, super volcanoes, AI. Check it out. Nearly $1 billion of gold and silver taken out of the whole Comstock. This mine produced $438. It did not do well. Can I make your profit somehow, hence? Mine tours. However, this mine served its purpose for ventilation, transportation to the more successful mines that are down below us. So what I'm sitting on is a cast iron ore car. How much you guys think it weighs? Thousand pounds. Hey, we're doing price right rules. You would have got it half a ton, a thousand one hundred. When the mine had begun, this half ton cart was being pulled by a mule and hemp rope. Once a mule was purchased, placed into the mines, he never saw the light of day again. This to me is almost unimaginable to take an animal underground and work them until they die. Yet this has to be true of most mines I've been in. It's really sad and tragic, but not so different from the lives of the miners themselves. Most of their time spent above ground, at least during their working years, was simply rest and recovery to go right back down. When mules were taken down into these mines, it never made financial or logical sense to lead them out again. Have you guys seen those wild horses around? There's so many freaking horses around. Why are they using mules and not horses? Aren't horses supposed to be like cooler and better? Could you imagine walking a horse through here and it's like ears graze the top and he like freaks out on you and kicks you in the face, starts kicking timber. You guys want to hear a dark fact about mining history? 17th century Europe, they're half ton of work cars. They didn't have mules pulling them. They had topless women. Didn't matter if the women were pregnant or not. The women would remove their own tops because it got so hot. So they got this rope tied around them and they're pulling this half-ton cart. A little kid is pushing it on the back. Husbands chip it out the walls, no matter who you were back then. If you lived in a certain area, if you wanted to eat, you had to work in a coal mine. As crazy as this image sounds of topless women and small children dragging coal underground, it was actually still happening in the 19th century. In England, there was public outcry over this practice, 
especially as many men worked naked to handle the heat. I asked Spencer how miners were able to tell one rock from another in the dark or the small light of a candle. They went by feel. Heavy rocks meant money. Light rocks go to the waste rock pile. 1935 comes along. William H. Baylor invents black light. Afterwards, the miners had a strong enough black light. They'd be looking for rocks glowing blue, white, purple. That is value. My coworker actually found those rocks in his backyard. So you guys got a strong enough black light at your house. Test it out sometime. If it's a long one from like Spencer's gift shop, that won't work. You need one of those flashlight ones. These were scorpions in hotel rooms. All throughout the mine, there were coins on ledges or sticking out of little openings in the timber. Clearly, it was a tradition of some kind. At this point in the tour, Spencer led us to a back corner of the mine and explained all of the coins. When you guys get back here, if you have a coin in your pocket, feel free to stick the coin in one of the crevices, not cracks, crevices. This is how you leave your market in the mine. Like a piece of you will always be in the mine without you being a jerk and vandalizing. It also pays your respect to the miners. And it is an offering to the Tommyknockers. Tommyknockers. Before it was a novel by Stephen King about aliens, it was Cornwall, England's version of the Leprechaun. They're mine dwellers. Some people say they're evil. So when you hear a knocking noise, they say it's like trying to lure you into the mine. So something bad happens to you. Fall, cave in, whatnot. I personally believe the other theory, that the deceased miners become Tommyknockers. And yet they're very, very mischievous. But when you hear a knocking, they're trying to warn you. I wanted to be clear on which he had asked us to use, cracks or crevices, to place our coins. Crevice between two boards, because that actually helps the mine. By sticking them in the cracks, it really hurts the mine. That's why you'll see duct tape up in random spots. And oh yeah, I forgot to tell you guys the ending. Remember that story I told you about the blue mud and the two Irishmen? You guys remember that? All right, so you know how the story ends for Henry Comstock, suicide. With the two Irishmen... Patrick McLaughlin, he sold his shares for like a thousand and ended up becoming a cook for the miners, dies a bum. Peter O'Reilly held out and made thousands and thousands and like thousands, but he couldn't enjoy it because he started hearing voices. The voices were saying to go out to Tonopah, Nevada and dig. There's going to be another strike. Keeps hearing the voices. He keeps listening to them and ends up dying in a mental institution in California. All right, you guys want to come this way? And dude, there's going to be a spot back here, man, that you'll be able to stretch out. It's going to get really low. But then it opens back up, all right, man? He's talking to me again. Around the corner, a ladder appears in a zigzag pattern above us in an open area that allows me to straighten my back for a while. What's your name, sir? Shane. Shane, prospector number one. What's your name? Brent. Brent, prospector number two. So Brent and Shane. Are you guys nyctophobic? Nyctophobic. That translates to fear of the night. That's a fancy word for fear of the... It's about to get really dark, y'all. But it's cool. We got plenty of light right here. At this point, Spencer shut off all the electric lights and had us stand together in the light of a single candle and not like a tall, bright dinner candle or even the ones Brent puts on the edge of his bathtub. When he's listening to Kenny G, he's our audio engineer. These candles were small and the light was dim. And a lot of times their flame would look like that or even smaller due to lack of oxygen. Or sometimes they'll hit a pocket of methane gas, their flame would be like, wow. So we got 
Got Brent and Shane. The year is 1860. I did not say it was 1871. That's when the pneumatic drill was invented here in Virginia City. No, I said 1860, y'all. Got our two prospectors. This is their light. What will be the tools for mining in 1860? Who's older, Brent or Shane? Shane, you get first choice then. Do you want to be on that hammer or do you want to be on the chisel? All right, so Dad put Shane on the hammer. Brent will be on the chisel. Oh, Shane's hitting that chisel that Brent's holding. Brent would be rotating the chisel. Shane would accidentally miss. Hit Brent with the hammer. It's cool. Ah! Oh! Because they will switch off. Brent will get his revenge. And I'm sure that happened a lot too. Not only was it dark, like I was saying before, but check this out, y'all. Here's the universal symbol to not swing the hammer. Just a thumb on the top. I figured, I figured I'd do their thumb because their whole hand could got their hand in pad. Like, they were also pretty drunk. Water was scarce at the time. Whiskey, 25 cents a bottle, 5 cents a shot. Catch 22, alcohol dehydrates you. They said in a 10 hour shift, they're advancing three feet with that hammer and chisel. Call this working face. Then here comes along this dynamite and pneumatic drill making crap easier, but not quite safer. Laying on the ground over there in front of that wall, they point out the original pneumatic drill. They called that dude the Widowmaker. And it wasn't called the Widowmaker because it occasionally blow up like a giant hand grenade. Have you guys ever used a drill that got stuck on you and the handle spins out? Imagine a giant version of that. Called it the Widowmaker, no ventilation. Doing all the drilling in a soft mouth and breathing in dust, dirt. That makes us with saliva in their lungs and creates cement causes scar tissue, giving them ciliosis, miner's lung. Okay, so Britain and Shame have their hammer and their chisel. They got their light. They got their whiskey, of course. And they got the original carbon monoxide detector. He's holding a small yellow canary in a wooden cage. Over in Cornwall, England, that's where a lot of these miners came from. So they were Cornish and they were Scottish. They got tin mines, coal mines, copper mines over there. Whenever they be working in their mines, they have a male canary in a cage with them at all times. A male canary is like us human males. We never shut up to attract a female. So a male canary is constantly chirping, trying to attract a mate. So they're working. Notice that bird not chirping. Something wrong with there. Got to get out. Or if there's like a cave-in, they're trapped, they're running out of air, the canary will like fade out its chirp rather than abruptly stop. So this will help the miner to relax, regulate breathing, and not panic. You're running out of air. Last thing you want to do is panic, but I'm sure it's easier said than done. We don't have canaries in Virginia City. So a lot of canaries came over with the miners. Some people made good money breeding them. They mostly went by the Comstock canary. Comstock canary be the mule. So you're working. You notice your mule's acting funny, making weird noises. Something wrong with there. Time to get out. You notice your mule's dead. He should have got out like five minutes ago. They would also give crumbs of their lunch to the rats. Rats would get used to them. Rats would hang out. They'll use the rats as an indicator for danger. You see all these rats running in one direction? It's like that scene from the Titanic. Follow the rats. They said if a miner saw a civilian hurting a rat or killing a rat, that means that civilian be fighting that miner. When they're mining 500 feet and deeper where it's really hot, they'd be on their own. Canary can't survive down there. Rats and mule don't go down there, so they'd be in teams. They'd be switching off every 10 to 15 minutes. Not only because they're getting overheated, but their tools are made out of iron. They got a little too hot to handle, a little too slippery to hold from the sweat. I wonder how many times a team finished up their 15-minute break. They went down to break out the other guys. They get there to find them dead. Between the years 1853 and 1880, 295 mining deaths have been reported. I feel that number sounds low, so I asked around. I was told that the keywords reported. Just learned that the reason so many went unreported is because so many were happening. Even among those deaths reported, only those lives that actually ended within the mine counted against the total. If you bled out from a mining injury one step above the surface, your death didn't count. Brent and Shane here, wait a minute. 
They switched off. Brett on hammer, Shane on chisel. Brett hasn't got revenge yet. They both got a good whiskey buzz, and after they finish their shift, they'll leave the mine and get home to their families, get a better whiskey buzz. But until then, guys gotta keep working so they can support their families. And as they're working, they feel movement down by their boots. They look down, see all these rats traveling in one direction. Then they hear the mule, he's making a strange sound. They also notice the canary has stopped singing. All of a sudden, they'll be like, Time for Brent and Shane to crawl out. Fresh poisonous gas in there, best to get that low, and I'd rather crawl into something than walk face first into it. After that, gotta find the tram route, and hopefully you aren't disoriented when you do, because that tram route could end up leading you deeper into mines. Did you guys see how dark it was? That's freaking crazy, wasn't it? He blew the candle out again. And yes, it was crazy. You don't realize how dark can be until the nearest light is 100 feet above you on the surface. Check it out. If you take your hand, put it one inch in front of your face, wave it a hundred times, you can't see it. Check it out, guys. And I got him. I made him do John Cena. <laughs> He's referring to the you can't see me gesture, popularized by the WWE wrestler John Cena. And you'll notice Brent's voice laughing in the background. He was the only one of us who got that reference at the time. Surprisingly, for as ruthless and uncivilized as the mining culture of Virginia City was, child labor laws were way ahead of the curve. All right. So the late 1800s, early 1900s, that child labor thing, they were putting kids to work in mines and mills in America's age is 6 to 14. That was actually banished from Virginia City. However, go out east in the coal mines, they did. Europe during the Industrial Revolution, they did. Africa, South America, India, China, Philippines still do. But over here, that's a no-go. When a boy turned 15, he can drop out of school, become a mining apprentice, but he was considered to be a young adult and not a man. Deep hardcore mining jobs, they wanted to send him down. They prefer to be sent down Scottish, Cornish, because they're experienced, as well the Irish. But the Irish, they're not experienced. They're hard workers. Got a good combination of miners right there. Probably because we were at the front of the group. Spencer chose to use Bryn and I for another history lesson. Bryn and Shane here are both Irish immigrants, and they're both looking for work. And I'm like, yo, dudes, you guys got to come out here to Virginia City and work in these, in these silver mines. Man, there's this union. That union's freaking awesome. An average miner gets paid 80 cents a day. Well, guess what? The minimum wage of Virginia City is $4 a day. $4 a day? That's like the world's highest salary. Only stupid people turn that down. Everyone is getting rich in Virginia City. Y'all know Virginia City's be Virginia town, right? Sure, it was America's first silver mining camp. Population, couple hundred. Then within a few years, that population jumped to 1,500 because people got rich. That means you, Shane, you, Brent, my man, y'all gonna get rich. And there's a lot of cheap whiskey and plenty of girls, good gambling. You guys are gonna have fun too. You have a great time. Oh crap, my bad. I forgot to tell you guys something. We don't have much fresh water for you guys to drink. And the mining methods are very primitive, so you're probably gonna end up in a terrible accident back in the mines. Now that you guys are miners, your life expectancy no more than 42 years of age. During the winter, you gotta watch out for ammonia. That's bad for your lungs. Ciliosis, miner's lung, that'll get you carbon dioxide, totally. Cavens, VD as well. If you guys by any chance are the lucky ones, and you both actually do survive everything, alcoholism, cirrhosis of the liver will finally get you in the end. The average miner drank two pints of whiskey a day. Mark Twain had two sayings. One was in Virginia City, whiskey is for drink and water is for fighting. And the other one is, Virginia City doesn't have a town drunk, it has a drunk town. That's true, it's still like that. Best bar in town, Silver Dollar. Check her out. One of the most important inventions in the history of soft rock mining was the development of what is known as square set timber. Think giant Lincoln logs that interlock in a honeycomb pattern. 
Spencer took us to a small model within the mine to explain the importance of this development. This creates this. Structures of honeycombs. Honeycomb is the toughest structure in nature. It's because a hexagon is a bestagon. This is a system that uses railroad ties as supports for underground mining tunnels and shafts. They would be like pre-cut and they would connect like Lincoln logs. Then from the miners building these cubes, they're able to like open up three-dimensional cavities of any size. Then when they got done mining in a cavity, they would go back through and pack it with waste rock. Instead of having to haul this crap out, just move it down the way a little bit and create a solid pillar of wooden rock from floor to ceiling. The pressure of the earth would hold it together. In 1860, Philip Deichenheimer, a German engineer, came over to Virginia City and he solved the cave-in problem by inventing square set timbering. He didn't patent his idea. At first, I thought they screwed him out of money, but it turns out he didn't patent it because he didn't want to profit from it. All he wanted to do was make his money back and just help people out. They still use this all throughout the world today in mining. Except, you know, replace like metal and stuff. This has saved an infinity number of lives. At this point, we've reached the end of the tunnel and turned to begin our walk back to the entrance. I'm going to have you guys lead. I want to be the last to follow. We go back to where we came. I'd like to thank Spencer again, as well as the Ponderosa Saloon and Mine Tour, for that experience and for allowing me to bring you along. I did remove some parts of that tour so as not to give the whole thing away in hopes that it encourages you to join Spencer and one of his fellow guides the next time you're in Nevada. It's a unique experience, an education in the history of the area. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.